This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I discuss conversions and preparation for Hideous Laughter Productions' second full AP show, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Converted Curse of the Crimson Throne Adventure Path, Bestow Curse. We announce and discuss Season 2 of the Linked Legacy Podcast, talk about Seafaring Batty the Octopus of Episode 129, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. We're back. Yeah, we're back, man. We're back. We had a busy day. We got a lot to do tonight. We got a lot to do tomorrow. Yep. It feels like we're always busy, man. That's uh, that's a perk of running a business. Oh, it's a perk? It's a perk. You're telling you me it's a be, perk You get now. to be busy. Yeah, yeah. You know what they say about idle hands, right? What's that? I, I don't remember. I was hoping you knew. Um, it's like Are the, the devil's play thing? Yes. Yeah. I wish the devil would play with me sometimes. <laughs> We're off to a great start. What are you drinking, I mean, me bud? too. Yeah, so one of the things that we're doing tonight is we're going to exercise together. Yeah, we're going to exercise together. Because the HOP crew is getting fit. And because we're doing that, I'm not actually having alcohol. I am drinking a Zip Fizz. This is the Limon flavor. I'm drinking a Zip Fizz as well. It's the, I think, black raspberry flavor. I think it was blue raspberry. Blue raspberry flavor. It's purple, so... It's so incredibly sweet. Mine tastes like the purple with the blue swirl uh, Pop-Tart. That's exactly what it tastes like to me. Yeah, and and mine is something. It's something. I don't know it's what good. it is. I mean, I, I try to sip yours. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So uh, shout out to the Zip Fizz Corporation or whatever massive entity owns them. Yeah, now that we're getting healthy, we got we to gotta ditch the alcohol sponsor syrups and go straight to Zip Fizz. That's right. Full of vitamins, full of caffeine. That is correct. Let's go ahead and turn on a little Sirenscape here. We're going to be going to the boats today because we had a nautical-themed episode. Nice. I like that. This sound set is from uh, the Sinister Secret uh, Scape of Siren Sounds. and this one's Scape just of called- Siren Sounds? Yep. And this one's called Bilge. You just stumble your way through it till you make it, huh? I think it sort of made sense. All right. The podcast of hideous laughter. <laughs> The productions of laughter that are hideous. Yeah. Um, Nailed it. Got it in one. Okay. So, you know what would be kind of fun? We should tell the people what we're doing tomorrow, which would be in the Saturday before this drops. Yeah. But let's just talk about it for a second. We're going to watch all the Lord of the Rings movies back to back. Yeah, man. How fun is that? It's going to be great. We're going to have some nice food spreads. That's actually... If I felt very domestic. Okay. You, you and me... Going to Costco together, getting uh, getting all the preparation, getting all the food for tomorrow. That's right. And and we're getting, you know, we're pumping iron tonight, so we're looking good for tomorrow. Yeah, we can look good sitting on the couch all watching, day long, <laughs> watching double digit hours of movies. It's it's gonna be a lot. I've never done that before with the Lord of the Rings movies. I've seen them all several times, but I've never chained them up one after the other like that. Yeah, the theatrical releases are just over nine hours, I think, and the extended editions are just over eleven. So it's mm-hmm. 
it's a pretty big undertaking either way. Yeah, no matter what you do. But yeah, really looking forward to that tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's been a few years since I've seen them. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a while for me too. I think the last time Haley and I bought the extended editions on Blu-ray when we were living in our old house and watched them, and even then we didn't do them all back to back. Yeah, so uh, really looking forward to that. But besides that, what have you been getting into lately, man? I know it's been around, but I just watched all the way through the the DC's Harley Quinn animated series. How is that? It's so good. It's really? adult, and it you know they're Harley's throwing f bombs everywhere, and it's really funny and really good. And Kite Man's in it, and he has sex with Poison Ivy. That's great. Good for him. It's really, it's really funny, and it's really good. I highly recommend it. It's an adult cartoon to the core. I didn't know... I, I knew DC had some of the like darker cartoons, but I didn't know they had an adult comedy cartoon until I found Harley Quinn. Wow. It sounds good. I, I love Harley Quinn in general, so I, I'd definitely check that out. Yeah, that sounds great. Haley and I uh, are caught up on WandaVision. Oh, which yeah. Which is a trip and a half. It's it's really really weird. Yeah, it's really weird. But I, I like it. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I can't really place it. Mm-hmm. But my theory is that regardless of what happened in Endgame or and Infinity War, either way, even going back in time, Vision still had to have the Infinity Stone ripped out of his head, right? Yes. So like I'm thinking this is all like Wanda projecting. It's I think it's some sort of setup where somebody is using her for whatever reason. They have this virtual reality or whatever she's in. Um and I I, I think Vision is still dead. I think it's just her imagination. So, yeah, I think I think Vision's still so. dead. She does have twins in the comic and that was all kind of a fucked up thing in the comics. So I think there might I th- I genuinely think it's kind of bits and pieces from what Wanda's story is Scarlet Witch's story is in the yeah. comics and what Vision's story ends up being in the comics which are both like twisted family life things so I'm excited to see where they go with it definitely I just thought it was such a weird way to begin the Marvel shows it was weird Disney yeah, Plus. like you would think like the Falcon and Winter Soldier would be a much more logical safer mm-hmm. way to go but I really do like WandaVision and I kind of didn't expect to I think it's a it's a really weird way to put the you know these Disney series forward, but I think it's Disney kind of saying like, how far can we push the boundaries with one of these? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a fair read because it is like the first one, so either way it was going to get a lot of buzz. But maybe they were kind of hedging their bet with that, where it's like, this is the weirdest one we have. Let's do it first. Everyone's going to talk you know, about it anyway because every everyone's going to watch the first one regardless, and then. As the other ones come out, they're kind of safer, and regardless of what damage WandaVision might have done, <laughs> which I don't, I legitimately think it's a good show. I don't think it's going to do damage. I just think it's it's not what people expected. I think everybody that I've talked to or has seen it so far that I've has liked it. I just don't know if it's going to turn some people off. I don't know. We'll see. It's just like. It's kind of absurdism, right? And I love that yeah. it's paying homage to... All these old sitcoms. Yeah, all of the old yeah. sitcoms. It's it's fun in that way. But I'm just... It, yeah, I'm excited to see how far it develops 
have they said if it's going to be multiple seasons or if it's just like a one and done season? That I don't know. It seems like a story that would be one season. That's what I was thinking too. It's like this. I hope they don't leave us on a cliffhanger. I hope the whole season doesn't drag on as uh, in Wanda's mind or wherever we are right now, yep. or in in Wanda's like perfect world that she's creating. I hope it wraps that, and then we get to see what what's going on with like the beekeeper guy and that kind of thing. Yeah, that was kind of actually legitimately creepy. That was a really cool moment. I like that a lot. Well, how about you? Those are those are the two things I'm watching right now. Well, I'm, I am also watching WandaVision, obviously, uh, really enjoying that, but um, I, I've been playing some games, man. I've been yeah. play, playing some good games. Um, on a weird kick through my Xbox Live Game Pass, I played this game called What Remains of Edith Finch, which is this really, really weird game. Uh, people call this type of a game like a walking simulator. Okay. Basically, you just kind of move forward, the plot happens around you, and you have some very, very minimal interaction with what's going on. But you play this girl that inherits her family's old house, and the family is cursed with misfortune, and you're walking through the house, and you'll interact with different mementos of the people that used to live there, and you'll flash back to their perspective as um, unfortunate things happen to them. So um, it is extraordinarily depressing, but it's extraordinarily well-written, and it's like two hours long. So you could bang this thing out in an afternoon, and it was recently featured on another podcast that I listened to called How Did This Get Played, where they review weird and wild games. And I think one of the hosts called it One Complete Thought, and I think that's the best way to describe it. Just, I feel like they knew what they wanted to tell going in, and they told it, and it makes sense, and it's a lot of fun, and it's a fulfilling adventure. And that's it. It's really good. I would suggest anybody to check that out. I'm also played this. Ga- I'm also currently playing this game called Night Call, where you are a taxi driver in Paris, and you are an informant for the police, and there's a serial killer about, and your entire the entire game is focused around you picking up passengers and having regular conversations with them to see if they know anything about the serial killer. And then you inform the police. And eventually you're supposed to try to figure out who it is yourself. Okay. Um, there are several different modes of play with different different serial killers, different stories, different passengers. I have played the first one, and I successfully guessed who the serial killer was. And then... The police wanted me to pick up the serial killer and get a confession, and I did. And then I failed some prompts, and he shot me in the back. Oh, I no. died, and it ended. <laughs> so I succeeded, but then I failed. It's really cool. It's weird, and that's also on Game Pass too. So that's kind of been my kick lately, playing weird ass games. But I've been wa- I, I finished watching this little mini series on Netflix called Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. And it is a four-episode documentary on the reign of terror that the serial killer Richard Ramirez, called the Night Stalker, perpetrated on LA County in uh, 1985. Basically, across the summer of 19, 19- this was a serial killer that I wasn't really familiar with, but he killed something like 50 people in one summer, and he was a, a crazy rapist too. Um, he thought the devil was speaking to him and getting him to do these things. But what's really cool about this documentary is that they have basically all of the people 
There are two uh, two detectives, two partners that basically figured out the whole thing back to front and caught him. Gil Carrillo and Frank Salerno, and they are incredible to listen to. It is such a well put together documentary. It is incredibly disturbing, but it is fantastic. Riff, you should watch this one. Nice. Is he the one that Son of Stan is based off of? He thinks his dog's talking to him and uh, his dog is Satan or whatever. I think that's some son of Sam. Or son of Sam. And that, yeah, I think funny. that's separate. separate. This is the guy that uh, he tattooed like a pentagram on his on his hand. Um, and he was in two separate seasons of American Horror Story played by two different actors and they oh, completely boy. contradict each other with the story. It's Man, fuck that show. But um, I can never get get a beat on whether, whether you're going to say fuck that show or that you, you're going to suck that show's dick this week. Me neither. Me neither. Um, but yeah, I, I heavily suggest Night Stalker. It's very good. Um, but let's speaking let's, of games, though, I did. Okay. So last time I talked about all of these monster taming games that I'm playing or that I want to play. And I found my people. There's a subreddit oh, no. called Our Monster Tamer World. And it's just all of these games. They they all of the indie ones. It's discussion about like all of them. And it's amazing. If you like that. Some people were talking to me about like how deep in the rabbit hole. I think Tilda said you're really deep in the rabbit hole in those <laughs> games. Uh so some folks are talking to me about those games, and I found this subreddit. So if anybody is interested in those types of games, our monster tamer world, check it out. There's like there's a dude. Why didn't I think of this? It would have been wildly more popular than the HLP. Is he just like, he does like the news updates and whatever for just the monster taming genre of games. Yeah, maybe you should do that. I should do that. And no, it wouldn't be more popular. It's like <laughs> such a niche genre. How many people are on that subreddit? Like, I don't know. I don't think it's more than a thousand. Nice. There might be a decent amount. I, I haven't looked. That's that's great, man. It sounds like you've met the right folks. Yeah, you know, it's just you gotta you gotta search, dig deep for it. All right, so let's get into the meat of this episode. And first of all, I want to talk about the new show coming up. I feel like quickly coming up the the way things have been going. Yes, yeah, felt quick. It's a it's amazing. Thanks for everyone that's a patron right now or sharing the show and that kind of thing because we're swiftly approaching it. I'm really excited. Yeah, making me a little scared. We got. We got. We got to. You're you know, scared. I got. We got to put I'm up now. the game. We got to put up. <laughs> um, but so we are. We are quickly approaching what will be the release of our second show. Um, what's the thing that's most exciting for you about this, Griffin? About this this story or this particular um, particular cast or what we're doing? Just a, a general. What it, What's getting you going? What's What's getting you ready to play? I'm really, really excited about the NPCs in this one because I think they get to grow and evolve with you guys as a party and there's a lot of opportunities for uh, a friendly NPC to work with the group or for the I think almost all the of the submissions I have I have plans for a, a actual backstory connection with an important NPC that that like really ties everybody to the setting and I think having a one city setting for most of the campaign is just going to be a really fun sandbox to play in. And that's very different to Carrying Crown. It's yeah. like, I I try and think of the NPCs you're most attached to, and realistically, they end up being the ones that I'm, like, 
funniest with mm-hmm. because be, just because you don't get to spend that much time with any one NPC, you meet these people for a week of your life and then they're gone because you have to move on. And and you do kind of see the people that listen to the show tend to get attached to like those type of like meme characters that are like hot for a couple episodes. You're Seymour Wieners and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're hot for a couple episodes. They're memorable, but then we don't really have to talk to them anymore. And we're halfway across the country. This, we're going to be able to develop some real connections with people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just going to make, make it a little bit more fun for me to play. I really like to do character work and it's kind of hard to get, a character out when they only have a couple limited interactions with you guys mm-hmm. like there there are characters in this that you're going to be talking to from book one to book six that are going to play a role the entire time and i think that's really cool that's going to be awesome uh i read through hell's rebels and i, I think it's very similar that's yeah. uh, an, an ap that is centered around one one city as well and what that ap does is that in the back of the book or each of the six books they carve out like four or five pages to do big full dossiers on um on notable npcs yes and so if they do something similar for that or for curse or have that intention that's going to be really exciting in curse they actually included because they did the anniversary edition mm-hmm. in the anniversary edition they included like a whole npc codex that's like perfect that's 30 awesome. or 40 pages just NPCs because because it's the whole campaign in one book so mm-hmm. they just put all the notable NPCs and their stat blocks and everything else in the back which nice. is really cool uh you, you you mentioned something the other night this isn't on our agenda here I haven't written this down but uh who wrote book one and why is it exciting for our group oh I I love that book one was written by Nick Logue because uh, as when we talked to Tim Hitchcock he you know and I really respect him for his horror writing uh, he really respects Nick Logue for his horror writing, and he's one of the he's one of the other authors of Carnival of Tears. It's him and Tim Hitchcock, and Nick Logue is known for not that this adventure is a horror adventure, but he's mm-hmm. known for being you know one of the best uh, Paizo freelancers in the horror genre. And I really like the things he's written, so I'm really excited that he wrote book one of this one. Oh yeah. We'll have to see if we can get them on once we wrap up book one of this. That's, that'll be fun. I don't know. These guys that wrote the older ones are elusive. It was hard to get Tim on. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there was some... It was it was great. Like, Paizo had to find somebody at, at their staff who knew uh, knew Tim Hitchcock, and Tim was hard to reach out to, and we... Well, he doesn't have yeah, any social media. No social like, media. You can't reach out to him. But, yeah, really glad we had him on, and, and hopefully we could do something with, with Nick or some of the other writers uh, for some of these other books, too, because that would be really exciting. Yeah. Um, let's dive into how this is actually going to work, though, because I think a lot of people have responded really well to the 2E conversions, uh, or the announcement that we're converting it to 2E, but when we first started talking about this, there are some just quality of life things I feel like that um, that you're kind of changing up a little bit or different rule sets that we're implementing uh, during character creation. Now I don't think we're at the stage yet where any of the four people on the show are ready to announce to the world their character, although all of us have a character close to ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but Griff, can you walk me through some of the um, rule changes or augmentations that you have in place for us? 
Yeah, I think the the most important one that we're using is the free archetype rule. In 2E, I think that one of one of the gaps between 2E and first edition in terms of a lot of people's enjoyment of the system and one one of the things that a lot of people dislike about 2E is that it doesn't have the crazy class-specific archetypes that 1E has, you know, 10 years of content built up for. And I think what helps bridge the gap to really kind of play whatever kind of character you want to is getting that free archetype. Absolutely. Because you don't, it doesn't cost you anything in your core class to get bits and pieces of another class that way. And I think it, you know, it really lets you specialize in whatever you want to specialize in, right? At this point, with the advanced player's guide out, and more content is on the way, but even with just the advanced player's guide, the archetypes in that book really allow you to be a, you know, a heavy armor wearing druid or a uh, somebody that really focuses on a shield or a bow or two weapon fighting. Uh, any kind of play style you can think of is really an archetype that you can just add willy-nilly on top of whatever class you want to play. So I think it gives you a lot of customizability and a lot of freedom to make a character that's truly unique. Yeah, I um, virtually any 2E I've played so far has utilized the free archetype system. I just think it's the way to go. Um, we were talking about this a couple nights ago. One of the people that is going to be on the show that hasn't been announced yet expressed to you concern that maybe our characters are going to be a little too powerful. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think the reality of the free archetype rules is that they uh, they really give each character a lot more options, but because it's all contained in the three-action system, it doesn't really increase the power level by all that much. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, I'm also... I think I will tease this little part right now. Uh oh Right now, as as we're speaking, I think every every character has like a, a really well rooted uh, ancestry, and so I wanted to do the ancestral paragon uh, to flesh out the amount of feats you get to really make. So, for the people that don't know or aren't quite as familiar with two E, what what is that? So, normally with your ancestry, you get ancestry feats. You start with one at first level, and then you get one at. Uh, I think you get five in total. You get like one at fifth, one at ninth, one at uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, with the Ancestral Paragon, you get two at first level and then one for every odd level, giving you a total of 11. So you get 11 Ancestry feats. And what I think this does that I like is it makes something like a Tiefling feel like a first edition Tiefling. Yes. What I what this, I kinda, this harkens back to our uh, review of the Advanced Player's Guide when yeah. that came out. We're like, well, I really wish some of these versatile heritages were just a little more beefy with what they got. Yeah, a little this, more front-loaded. And this lets you front-load it a little bit more or at least grow into it a little bit faster. And again, it's giving you extra stuff and giving you extra versatility, but it's not really amping up your power level that much. So I think with those two combined, yes, you're going to be more powerful than your average party, but... I'm completely converting the AP anyway, so yeah. I'm just going to play to your power level, and I want you guys to have those options, and I want your characters to feel really fleshed out and unique and have a lot of cool... I I love the way all of these things add together for a session where I can I can be surprised almost every combat by, by something cool that you guys can do, because 
when you add all of these options together, you can start picking things that are more niche that only happen once in a while, that only come into play once in a while. And so your characters can surprise me, which as much shit as I give Haley for is one reason why I really like Eclipse as a character is because it's, it feels like with, with all of her focus powers and everything else, that character is surprising me in what she can do in each combat. Makes good radio. It does. Yeah. I will certainly say that. Um, a couple other things that that you're letting us do. Um, there's an optional flaw system. Yeah, the optional flaw is really just so you can play any race for any concept. Mm -hmm. uh, most races will have two uh, positive ability bumps and one negative ability bump, mm -hmm. and and then a free third positive ability bump. The optional flaw allows you to take. Uh, take a score down to fund another score. So it just lets you, like, if you want to play a halfling barbarian and you're upset that your strength is 18 or 8, you can get that strength all the way up to 18 at character creation if you want to using the optional flaws rule. Really doesn't take anything away. It just lets you play whatever race for whatever class and not feel like you're gimped. Yeah, I you see that a little bit in 1E where sometimes, especially for one-shots and stuff, people roll up with a with a character that has just the perfect stat array or ability array for their class and it's like okay i know you just picked the class and then saw what yeah character for, like what them. race fits that you're not you're not fooling anybody but this is a good way to kind of get around that and so you, you could have a situation where a, a, an ancestry which doesn't really quite fit the class can or mechanically on paper doesn't quite fit the class. Yeah, you can yeah. you can have your dwarven bard or whatever. Exactly. Um, how about deific boons and curses? You threw this out there as well if it applies to the characters. Yeah, I mean it's it I think that's something that much like the corruption mechanic in Carrying Crown is very much up to what happens in the story. But there is a mechanical, you know, if you're close to your deity, there there are mechanical benefits from these boons for each deity. I think it would be really cool to have had this in first edition for the Desna thing. Mm -hmm. uh, although that probably would have made it feel a little bit less specific to each character, but say you get blessed by a God, you know, there's a, there's a minor and a major boon for that in two E. And sure. so it's, it's something that I want to play around with. And then what's the curse half of that? Uh, if you fuck up, <laughs> don't fuck up. Well, if I know this, this, this team, no one's fucking. Yeah, no one will fuck up. No one will fuck up at all. All right, the last mechanical thing when we're doing character creation is ability score variant rules. Yeah, so this is one I'm still kind of toying around with, um, but basically what it does is it allows you, as you play, you find in 2E, you know, at 5th, 10th, 15th, and 20th level, you get stat bonuses mm -hmm. and all this does is it spreads the stat bonuses out across the levels so at level two you would get a bonus to one stat at level three you get a bonus and so by the time you're level five at level five you get the bonus to your last stat i feel like yeah that that smooths it out so much more i think that's a lot better than okay i've played four levels and now I'm much more powerful yeah. okay i've played four more levels and now i'm much more powerful the only thing this is weird. Like, you'd think of all the rules. Like, this one's probably the one that spikes the power the most. Yeah, yeah. Because it, I think it's fair. It has the potential. Because everybody's going to take their main stat at second level, 
And so, we'll see. Long, yeah, <laughs> knowing you, maybe not. But so instead of waiting till level five to get that, you know, to get that 16 to an 18 or whatever, if you, it won't affect people that already min maxed and had an 18 and go to a 19. But yeah. for everybody else, that's a big boon to have in your main stat at level two. So we'll see how it plays. I'm still toying around with whether I want it, but I do think it'll smooth out the and it's something fun to get at every level uh, yeah. a new stat but um yeah that, that that's exciting is there anything else you want to talk about here for uh for this new show or you want to move on i mean i think everything else is just is in the works and we have to that's right <laughs> you know we we gotta we're fast approaching it but you gotta wait yep and and on that note um, I just want to reiterate that our plan right now is to, as we get closer and closer to the goal, start revealing the rest of the people on the cast, um, bring those people on here to discuss their characters, put out some level one character sheets maybe. We got some art on the way. Yes, we do. Um, that So you'll be able to get an image in your head of what these characters look like before you actually hear them in your ear holes. So we're just going to be teasing that out. A lot of it's probably going to be delivered to via Zone of Truth, but... Could pop up other places too, so stay tuned, you know? Just be like paying attention to our shit like you already are. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. That was a good sell. All right. Now for what the people really want. Oh, uh, is this what they really want to hear? Absolutely. We've been sitting on this one for a while. I feel like, Griff, we've been talking a little bit. Carnival of Tears is coming to a close. Yep, I would say. There will be 12 episodes of Carnival of Tears, I think. 12 episodes. Nine have been released. So within a few weeks, we're going to have to start moving on, at least behind the scenes recording stuff, for season two. And that is the season I'm going to be GMing. Now, a couple of you have figured out what we're going to be playing because we got a discussion channel in our Discord um, where we have an acronym of the module title, but we haven't revealed what it is. So here you go, guys. A hundred miles off the Chelish coast lies the remote island of Deepmar, where the House of Thrun sends prisoners to work in crystal mines, wresting valuable spell components from the depths of the earth. A month ago, all contact with the penal colony ceased, and now someone must discover what mysterious fate has befallen the prisoners and guards of this isolated mining operation. We are going to be playing No Response from Deepmar, and I am way excited for this one i don't know that it's been done before on a podcast if it has i haven't heard of it um but this one was released in may of 2012 author stephen greer um it is a adventure of horrifying dungeon and wilderness exploration for eighth level characters it's a little higher than you've got at carnival of tears but it's going to be a little bit more difficult i've looked at some of those crs and it gets punchy it's not going to be easy. All right. So, Griff, you want to hear about the first time I read this module? Because this is just fun. Sure. I read this module on the highway, sitting in traffic. It's the, the only time I've read a book behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> something. Yeah, so don't worry, guys. It, the car was not in motion. I was driving home to Chicago about two years ago, actually, and... It's probably nine o'clock at night or so, and I just hit gridlock on I-90. And I just sat there. So I 
Pulled out, no response from Deepmar, read through it, and thought to myself, wow, this would be fun to run one day. But I'll probably never do it, because I'm never the GM of stuff. So I threw it in the back, eventually traffic started moving, and here we go. Now, fast forward a couple years, and it's time for me to GM. So this is what we're going to do. I want to talk a little bit about the setup for this module, because I think it's going to be really interesting, and then we got some fun stuff to talk about, too. So... For character creation for this module, like I said, 8th level, um, and I have encouraged each player to keep their backstory and alignment a secret. Because this is not going to be your traditional, everybody meets and everybody has already met. This is a traditional adventuring party in a tavern where somebody just vomits out exposition and you need to go somewhere and solve a problem. All of these people are going to be strangers. And I've encouraged them to be very strangerful with each other um, because I think that's going to lead to some really good RP with this particular module for reasons you'll see as this develops. Um, but I've also said all alignments are allowed. Well, we are prisoners after all. You don't know that yet. No, we don't. You don't know that yet. <laughs> but yes, all alignments are allowed and... I have gotten some great, great backstory material from some of the people that are going to be on the show, and I cannot wait to share it with everybody. And who are those people on the show? You're going to have Griff on there. You're going to have Haley on there. You're going to have Emily on there. I guess we're going to have Chris on there. And then we're going to have Tim. So the man behind the Don, Siege Engine McGee is bringing a new character and his character is wild i don't know that it's don level crazy but it's up there yeah oh boy all right griffin i don't want you to reveal your backstory or your alignment to the people at home i won't but do you want to talk a little bit about your character just so they know what you're bringing in yeah i will because I mean, you said Tim's character is wild, but you did let me go a little uh, off the traditional beaten path with my character as well. I did. So I'm bringing in a bugbear druid. Yes. Named Reeve Starchild. Great name. And he is uh, quite the character, as we will find. I think we're going to have a lot of... Kong versus Godzilla moments in this in this adventure <laughs> because I'm going to be focusing heavily on wild shaping uh, although I cannot speak well in wild shape and how are you envisioning that you're going to play that out on an audio medium <laughs> I think if anybody could do it it's me alright All right. high praise for myself think I'll be able to handle it sure <laughs> okay but uh, yeah I'm, I'm really excited to play this character I Wanted to play a bugbear for a long time, and Steve let me do it, so. I did, against are. my better judgment, I let it happen. I made him a druid, I didn't make him like a barbarian. That That's would have been true. bad. That would have been uh, poor, for, poor for play. <laughs> so, uh, wh what can they expect from, from this character going in? Just, uh, what? how are you going to play him? How are you going to play him? You didn't want me to give his alignment away. Is that give his alignment away? No, I'm, gonna, I, I'm talking like mechanically. What, what are you? What are you trying to achieve? Because a druid is a pretty versatile class. Yeah. So I, being a bugbear, I took mostly 
buffing and area control spells that don't really require a save and focused on wild shape. So I'm going to be a frontliner uh, mm -hmm. using wild shape to turn into all kinds of things. Uh, his his kind of shtick is like um, like the crocodile hunter, but he wants to wrestle with everything. That's, that where I was, he, that's what I wanted to hear. He wants that's to wrestle with every it. animal he comes across because uh, that's just his... That's his. That's his bliss. He likes to chase his bliss. That's his bliss. He was raised by. Uh, well, I won't. I won't reveal this on here. Okay. <laughs> he has a. He has a very strange heritage to to lead him down this path, and I'm. I'm definitely excited to see what happens the first time we have to fight an animal. If that. If we even fight any animals, because uh, he's going to be about it. <laughs> I'll just say there may be some wrestling in your future. Okay. All right. You better put animals in if there aren't any <laughs> animals in. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be digging through the random encounter table in the back of the book. Moles. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a cool adventure. I think it's gonna be a fun story. I'm, I think I'm gonna try and pump a lot of life into it. I'm encouraging characters to to or I'm encouraging the players to develop backstories and not just have a meme -y character that shows up and is funny and then. It's over. I want I want these characters to really exist in the uh, HLP pantheon, which I'm very excited for. But I'm almost even more excited for how we're going to be delivering the show. We got I got two very fun things to announce. One, of course, this is a show that is going to appear basically in its exclusivity behind the Patreon paywall at five dollars and up. You can get access to it once every two weeks. Isn't that exciting? However, as a little teaser, we're going to be releasing the first episode on the main feed. So you see what you see what you're missing. Maybe you say, hey, Steve is pretty decent at what he does. This is going to be a fun adventure. I, I, I might I might buy into this or you might just be like, I made the right decision by not signing up. Who knows? <laughs> we release it to the people two days later, down 20 patrons. Guys, we're much further away from Bestow Curse than we thought. <laughs> we're going to move on. <laughs> All right. But also, we have a great partnership with our friends at Die Hard Dice. And I reached out to them a few days ago. I said, hey, playing this module called No Response from Deepmar, you just premiered this brand new set of dice called the Deep Space Dice. They're actually called the, um, the, the Mythic... Dreamscape Deep Space Dice. They're they're really cool. They've got this kind of silvery outlay, but the inlay is this blue and purple, which is going to be perfect for this adventure. They're sending me a set of these dice. They're the only dice that I am going to roll the entire adventure as the GM. And then when we're done, we're gonna we're gonna wrap the final episode. I'm gonna wrap those dice up. And I'm going to give them away to somebody that subscribes at the $5 and up tier. You don't have to like a post. You don't have to share nothing. You just need to listen along and be giving us $5 a month. <laughs> you don't need to like a post. You just need to pay to be in the contest. Just, so, for, so for a lot of people to listen in already, you're already entered. Now, it's going to be a while. I mean, if Carnival of Tears is 12 episodes, this is probably going to be about 12 episodes, too. It's going to be a minute before you see these dice, but they're incredible dice, and someone is going to be very lucky to bring these home. So, that's also another perk of signing up. How cool is that? Are they going to be lucky if you've rolled them? I don't know, man. I've been hot lately. Or fairly hot lately. 
Okay. Hot-ish. Hot-ish. Lukewarm. Listen, I, I haven't been Haley lately, and I sure as hell haven't been Brooks rolling UMD checks lately, so... That's true. That's very fair. All right. is going to be great. I'm super excited. I know everybody else that's participating is also excited, but we had a very harrowing encounter last week on the Hideous Laughter Podcast, didn't we, Griffin? I mean, harrowing for you is... Yeah. Pretty, pretty harrowing for the whole team. This is the octopus combat. Yeah. And so we're not giving this the full uh, My Favorite Monster because you all know what octopuses do in real life. But this creature had a lot of really cool stuff in game. And I just thought it made sense to chat about it just a little bit more before it disappears into history. So Griffin, walk me through this stat block. Sure. This was a giant lake octopus, which is exclude the the stat block was released in uh, Wake of the Watcher, so it's not a bestiary monster. It's a variant. Oh, cool. Um, CR ten. It's a huge animal. It's got some decent AC. Uh, AC twenty two. I don't think I even bumped that up. I think I left that alone. But it, it has a pretty good hit point pool, around 150. I would just like to say that at AC 22, I think that's pretty fair not to bump up, considering that most of the time it's going to be in the water. Yeah. And yeah. everybody else is not, or most of the people are not, so that's a 30. Right. So the, the cool thing about the octopus is obviously that you get to attack nine times around. Because it's got a bite, which <laughs> so the bite's at a plus eighteen, and the eight tentacles are at a plus sixteen. Oof. The thing that's really cool about the octopus, though, and I think we discussed it on on air, is that even though it's a huge creature and it has a fifteen foot reach with the bite, the tentacles get an extra fifteen feet of reach. So it's got a thirty foot reach with the tentacles, which I don't think I've ever played with something that has that much reach, especially that's not that big we're on the goddamn open ocean and still somehow this thing has crowd control yeah i mean it's like it's, <laughs> it's enormous got, it's got a, a 60 foot wingspan well e even more mm -hmm. it's got a uh 75 foot wingspan if you include the space of the thing and so i think that's why it was really fun to have the combat split mm -hmm. in the book you're not supposed to encounter this here oh okay it's it's kind of like if you're if you're around Ilmarsh and you, you know, check out the docks or something, this encounter happens the first time the players are near water in Ilmarsh. So then, is the encounter just, well, Horace is coming to dock and having some trouble? Go yep, help him. That's, and that's the it. encounter. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, you got an inquisitive investigator on your side. That's a breeze. Yeah, it might not have been a breeze if you didn't have a bunch of spells and stuff to help you in the water. Oh, because... listen, I, I, I'm not claiming that I can get there. <laughs> I'm just claiming that if I am there, I'm good. So this thing has multi-attack, which I think is the most important thing because that's how its tentacles are at a, such a high to hit. And it can grab with each tentacle. But what you probably heard in the combat is it can maintain grapples with multiple people. Mm-hmm. It just takes a penalty for doing so with only one tentacle. So if I don't want to take a penalty, I can grab somebody, but that ends my turn. I can take a penalty to maintain, which is a hefty penalty, like a minus 20. Oh, wow. Um, that is substantial. To maintain if I, if I grab you with one tentacle. The good thing is grabbing you with one tentacle isn't reduced the first time I do it. 
so I can still like grab you and then on your turn you can get out pretty easy or on my next turn it's really hard for me to keep a hold of you. That's the dangerous thing. It can, it can kind of pull you into the water. It's got a great grapple check. It's a plus 26. So that's that's why it can still grab you. It, it could still maintain, you know. And for a party that's that didn't prepare to be in water, just getting a character in the water is dangerous. Yeah. We talked about it's poison because... I don't think it ever landed the poison. It did land the poison on uh, Air Bear. But oh, it's, a, he, he, it's a DC 22, yep. or it starts as a DC 22, fortitude save. Uh, once per round for six rounds, it's 1d3 strength damage. The cure is two consecutive saves. I'm remembering this now because he took three strength And he damage. kept getting bit, and the way the poison works is if you, if you continually apply the poison... Uh, the DC gets harder. Yeah, that's tough. It's got an ink cloud ability it never used. It can kind of give itself concealment and it persists for a minute. It's a 10 foot radius of ink. Around the creature itself? Or yeah. Just, okay, because it's already big, almost. Jeez, yeah. yeah. And then it's got a jet ability, which I think most octop- octopi have, which um, lets it move like 300 feet or 200 feet as a kind of like a run action. Can it do that if it has somebody grappled? It, I, I don't think it, it might be able to. Let's see. That would yeah. be great. Giant Lake Octopus can jet backward once per round as a full round action at a speed of 200 feet. It must move in a straight line while jetting and does not provoke attacks of opportunity when it does so. I think maintaining a grapple is a free action. Yeah, because that would be uh, an interesting way to separate them. You grab yeah, somebody and pull, pull them two hundred feet away. It, it basically, in its in its morale, it it uses the jet when it gets brought down low enough. But mm-hmm. I thought it was fun to try and grab multiple people and pull you into the water. So that's what I did. Yeah, that's the cinematic way to do it. And you know, the because I threw it in at this part, we got to have the trying to steer the boat into the dock, and you get a little bit of an assist from Horace and. You get to see what Horus can do a little bit, and it makes it another one of those fun environmental combats versus all of you being on the dock when it attacks, and it's like, okay, we move 60 feet away, and this thing can't do anything. Yep. Yep. I guess technically it has a 20-foot speed. I don't know how it would really feel about following you onto shore, but... Possible. I guess, as a last-ditch effort, if I really wanted that combat to happen, I'd just keep it coming. That's great. And I guess I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Curse, who wrote that book, who wrote this book? I don't think this this name has come up yet, or we haven't talked about him. It's Greg Vaughn, isn't it? Yeah, it is Greg Vaughn. And uh, he's got a reputation. Yeah, he writes some killer killer encounters. I'm, I'm excited. Because you do have your Eldritch Horrors in here, but there are some tense situations, as the listeners will find in the next couple of weeks, because we're a little bit ahead. Uh, There's some tense encounters, and I think, as written, if I was using the insanity as written instead of how the horror adventures changes it, as written, it's pretty brutal. (laughs) For There's sanity rules involved in this book, because it's the first time they've included Eldritch Terrors. Oh, cool. And... um, but it's kind of like the rudimentary rules before they actually incorporated them into horror adventures and fleshed them out. This is something we haven't talked about at all. Are we going to be using those? 
We're going to use the um, the Horror Adventures ones. Oh, cool. That makes sense. I'm glad we're doing that. Yeah. That's going to be cool. The, the Horror Adventures ones, I, I, I feel like, aren't as... These are kind of punishing. There, there's a couple of situations where it's like, you get no save. It just happens. And it's the, the pool is smaller. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the damage that's done is about the same so you go insane really fast if you use the rules from wake of the watcher so i think using the horror adventures rules will play a little bit better is this a i feel like this is a discussion for a later time i feel like maybe you know once we start seeing these rules or even post book four we can really pick apart this because this is the first I'm hearing about that we're using these rules. That's news to me. That's very scary. Well, you um, haven't encountered an Eldritch Terror yet. Right, but I'd, I'd like to learn everything about that when it is appropriate to do so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about them. Cool. Awesome. All right. Anything else with the octopus? No, I mean, it's an animal. It, does, it really <laughs> doesn't have, like... It's just... It's it's a CR-10 encounter, and so it's it's somewhat difficult for the party, especially if you make the environment tough. Yeah. Put them on a boat, put them on a dock kind of thing. It's one of these encounters, too. I, I, it reminds me a little bit of the fungus encounter from the maze, where if you don't have the right buffs, this is a this is a very dangerous encounter. Yeah, I mean, Air Bear was having a, a tough go of it, and if he didn't have water breathing, if that thing took him unconscious, he likely would have died. Right, and that's, that's the scary thing about that poison. If it does a D3 strength, well, Air Bear has 10 strength. So he got hit once, he was down to seven. He only needs to get hit a few more times, and then he's unconscious. If he can't breathe underwater, dead. Yep. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, dead by strength damage. That doesn't happen that often. But No. <laughs> it would be a first. Yeah, it would be, it'd be a first that I've heard. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to roll into some, some listener questions? Absolutely. So this first one comes from our buddy Jason. You heard him on the program a few weeks ago. He's a great dude. He says, I can't remember. I've heard other groups assign actors to the various deities of Galarian. Have you all ever assigned drinks slash cocktails to each of the deities for your canon? Um, I want to do this slightly different than we do most listener questions, Griffin, because I love this. And this sparked a very, very awesome conversation in our Zone of Truth questions channel on our Discord. So I actually grabbed some of my favorite responses. Sure. I didn't grab any of your responses because you, you, you can talk about what you want on there. But I grabbed some of what the people have suggested because I really like them. So Krusty Crust says, Thremir is dry ice. Okay. Not a cocktail, <laughs> I feel like but it has makes to be sense. drinkable. I feel like it has to be something you can drink, Chris. Uh, our Woody from the Wheeler Woe podcast, great friend of the show, says he feels that uh, Saren Ray would be Fireball and Shaitlin would be Sangria. I think I agree with both of those. Those are good. Uh, By My Love Tart says Gorum would be either Tequila Shots or Four Loco because you know someone's starting a fight after those. Can't disagree. Uh, Jason himself responds to his own question. I feel like Calistria's is anything that you drink that feels great when you have it, but kicks your ass when it wears off. Makes sense to me. I mean, that's most alcohol. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alex HP Lovesack has several here. I think he used to be a bartender, so a good go-to guy for some of this. Uh, Shaylin is definitely some fancy-ass cocktail that comes in like six mini umbrellas, costs $50, and takes $20 to make. I think Calistria is just tequila extra salt, which is fair because extra salt, she's salty. It is a uh, She's a goddess of vengeance and revenge. Um, he thinks that Grotus is just rubbing alcohol. I don't know why that is, but okay. Uh, Gazer is a white claw, refreshing, and mostly water. 
watch it. We like our seltzers here. Um, Aridin is Bacardi 151 because it's discontinued. Desna is a cocktail with three cherries, hypnotic and absinthe. I like all of those. I think those are pretty good. And then the last one I'm going to bring up is Thomas says Ergothoa is a goddess of gluttony. I feel like her drink would be something that actually tastes pretty good and you can chug like crazy only to wish that you had actually you were actually dead the next morning where Veridux responds to a pitcher of Long Island iced tea and I couldn't agree more with that. <laughs> all right. So I just threw out a whole bunch of those. What do you think, Griff? You had some good ones. Yeah, it's been a while. Let me think. I think... You had a good one for, for Gorum. Did I? Fight milk. Oh, fight milk. <laughs> yeah, that I, that is a drink. That is a drink. Gorum would definitely be fight milk. I think by the same logic that was discussed with Ergothoa, I think Ergothoa would be a, a cream beverage, something like a white Russian. Sure. Uh, goddess of gluttony. It's kind of gluttonous to drink. Get your... <laughs> I mean, how many calories is a white Russian? That's a good point. <laughs> They're decadent. They're a little bit decadent. Mm -hmm. I get the Long Island iced tea, but that's too much liquor for her. I feel like it needs to be uh, also a zombie. A zombie is an actual drink. Okay. And it's, it's, it's got 151 in it and that kind of thing, but it's kind of this ridiculous amount of mixers and sugars and stuff. They sell Ooh. it at the Grass Skirt. I don't know if you've ever been there downtown. What's the Grass Skirt? It's a, it's a tiki bar. Oh, shit. But the thing comes out bubbling. They put they put something in it. It's bubbling, and uh, oh, now I want to go to grass skirt. And obviously, it's called a zombie, so you know that works. Yeah, I think. Oh God, Kate and Callian's hard to pick for, right? Because that's a tough one. I feel like that might be a boring one though, because you can because his clerics just create beer with their create water. Oh, well, ale and wine, yeah. So I. I I guess he's just like kind of a pounder beer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Good times with friends. Maybe like a Bud Heavy. You think a Bud Heavy? I think so. Because I don't. I don't think he's like watered down like beer, like a like a Bud Light or something. But just like a a solid pounder that's got a good full flavor to it. See, I was gonna say he's he's like a Yingling, like America's oldest beer. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. And then obviously someone like Torag is probably just whiskey straight. I'd probably go Scotch or over. I could see Torag being like a, um, like a porter, like a, like a Russian porter. Yeah, one of those like Imperial Russian yeah, stouts yeah, or Russian something. Stout. Russian Imperial stout. I, that works. I I had one for Nethys, I think, and I I thought Nethys would be Fireball just because of the spell name connection. That's good. He's a spell guy, but um, oh, there's there's so many. There's so many gods and so many possible drinks. You gotta like limit me to something That's so true. I can actually think about it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've got the same problem where I'm just trying to think of everything at the same Let's time. Let's do Zonkuthan. What would, what would a Zonkuthan drink be? That's a tough one. It's gotta be painful to drink. You know what? Zonkuthan might be Malort. You think so? I think so. I think it's. It's painful to painful for most people to drink. Mm -hmm. uh, There's some people that really like we it. We enjoy it. There's pleasure in the pain. Yep. Um, sure. Some people would call like the people of Chicago torture other people with it. That's whenever whenever anybody visits, they they're offered Malort. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. I think I think Malort fits Zani K. 
Uh, this is a story for another time, but once I took a bottle of Malort to uh, to my work team meeting, we had like a uh. we had like a cookout on a on a Saturday, and I brought a bottle of Malort, and we all my team all took shots together, and everyone was like, "What the fuck's wrong, with you, Steve? <laughs> Clean out your desk. Clean out your desk. You're out. Sorry." Uh, yeah, I was thinking a little. So I was I was thinking the there we've we drank some horrendous shit on the show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you could grab almost any of our top ten or top five shittiest drinks and just slot them into Lamash too. Yeah, like the, yeah, the more right. mil- the more chocolate milkshake would be a good one for her because it's just fucking. No, I think I think wow. hers is the hers is the one that the mayonnaise one Haley had to take. Oh, the tapeworm shot. Yeah, the tapeworm because it's it's named after a living thing. Well, Mother monsters. Yeah, maybe tapeworm shot in like champagne or something too because Lamashtu has that big distended pregnant stomach you gotta feel bloated after having a after a Lamashtu I mean, it might cocktail. just be a monster energy drink cause she's uh, the mother maybe, monster yeah I wonder if monster energy has reached out to Paizo for any crossover <laughs> I'm gonna go uh maybe monster was in uh was in Death Stranding so you never know they're looking at gaming yeah I guess so I guess so I don't know. I feel like we could go on and on on this one, so uh, maybe maybe next time we'll pick a god. Yeah, that'd be a good one. If if, if people want to suggest specific gods, we'll just respond. We'll do that. Um, let's move on to the next question. Next question comes from Jobot, but horror Jobot. Uh, he said, here's a question. If you could brainstorm a new 1E hybrid class, what would it be? Which two parent classes and a quick mechanics rundown? So your hybrid classes right now, you got your Arcanist. You got your Blood Rager, you got your Scald, you got your Shaman, all of those types of things where they've fused together uh, one class with another class to create something new that's not quite unique. That it, Well, that is unique, but still shares some things from both parent classes. Um, the one that I thought of, would it, would it would be really cool to have a fighter-witch combo. Here's why. I want to wade into combat and take huge swings while my familiar either delivers touch attacks, kind of like a Magus's spell strike combat, or like debuffs right before I hit. So I want my familiar on my shoulder to be basically evil eyeing AC, and then I hit him really hard. You might like uh, Hexblade Magus. Yeah? I think. I don't know that they get a familiar, but it's the Magus, but they get witch hexes. Why don't people play that more often? That sounds great. It's a good archetype, honestly. But I think a lot of people play play them pretty much the the one way, right? Dex, crit fishing, uh, shock and grasp. Lame. Boring. Boring. But it kind of exists. I mean, it's not it's not fleshed out in the way that like I would I would love to to your point, maybe not the maybe not the familiar piece, but I would love a fighter that can like instead of intimidating like stare down opponents and actually you know give some of the hex debuffs and that kind of thing sure so in that case is that, is that you're still saying that's like a witch parent class as well with a fighter yeah i would say that's yeah. a fighter witch but instead of giving the fighter spells you just give them maybe a little bit watered down versions of some of the hexes and so eventually you can like you can start swift action hexing or whatever if you get that all right, hear me out on this. Gloomblade fighter with the witch 
prehensile hair. The thing about the gloom bait is you can change your shadow weapon to whatever weapon you want, basically. As long as you're proficient in it. So you change your hair to whatever you want, and then your hair does the damage. Okay. So, like, you could have really long eyebrow hair, and then next round of combat, switch it up to a, an animated beard, and then... So you're just us. you're just now changing between different types of hair. Yeah, I feel like instead I feel of, like instead of weapons, you're just changing what hair you use. Isn't isn't the white hair thing a hex? White hair thing. It might be. I think it's a hex. So theoretically, you could the concept still stands if yeah. you were shadow fighter hexes. Hair. Well, okay, forget the shadow hair. Right? <laughs> I want it to be the shadow hair. I think that's funny. <laughs> okay. I don't think I don't think the hair becomes a weapon that you're proficient with. It just but is it a should be. Attack. It, it should be in this uh, in this hybrid class. Okay, I, I started off liking your idea and it went downhill. Quickly. I think that the idea got better. Okay, whatever you say. I think we need to workshop it some more. Yeah, a little bit, but I think we're pretty much there. We're we're, <laughs> we're pretty much there. Ninety nine percent. Okay. All right, what do you got for me? Uh, I would really like a. There's a couple ways to get close to the concept, but a dedicated druid rogue. Okay. So, like, a a druid that's maybe less focused on magic and more focused on uh, skills, infiltration, that kind of thing that really utilizes some of the druid abilities, like Wild Shape, in a way that... Uh, allows them to be a better scout, allows them to perform at skills better, allows them to um, to 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 utilize that to ambush enemies. This reminds me a lot of the game's Dishonored. Uh, it's you don't quite wild shape, but you basically project your consciousness. In, you, one of the abilities you can pick up is projecting your consciousness into like a rat that's running around or a fish that's swimming around and you could swim up the tubes to get into like a castle that you need to infiltrate hitman style and then you pop out and then you're fully human again and you sneak up and you kind of rogue you it's like assassin's creed but you can just project your mind into things so this is like you could turn into like a cockroach squeeze under a door and as you're popping back into existence backstab somebody and do a ton of damage yeah that'd be dope that'd be really cool or or even utilizing like maybe not the full druid spell list but druids get summon nature's ally as their kind of like spontaneous spell even though they're prepared mm -hmm. so utilizing summon nature's ally i think would be really fun uh if you're a class that still relies somewhat on sneak attack you could easily give yourself flanking and that kind of thing by summoning the other the creatures in nature to come to your aid. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. I mean, and then you get your classic. Uh, I turn into an octopus and attack eight times and get sneak attack. Sneak attack eight times, which is always great. So I think a shifter, but with a little bit more magic and a little bit more of a a skills and stealth focus slant instead of being like full BAB. Nice. Yeah. I like that. It makes sense. All right. We got two more questions here. Um, Alex Thrushmore seems nice. Uh, says, so an average episode of the HLP is about 80 to 90 minutes. How long do you guys actually play for before you cut all the dead air, math, Brooks jokes and rule discussion? Uh, usually I think we shoot for about 90 minutes. 
and I, it kind of yeah. does depend on what we're doing. And I know you're much more versed in this. You see a lot more editing than I do. So you want to walk through this, Griff? Yeah, I mean, usually if it's a combat episode, it will record for a little bit longer because we'll cut more time. Because combat episodes, it's just you cut out the air of somebody thinking about their turn or maybe we have to discuss a rule or we have to go back and, you know, something happens, we get halfway through a turn and then I'm like, hey, that's not how the thing that you're trying to do works. <laughs> so then we turn back the clock and yep. uh, rerun the turn. So I'd say you cut like 15 minutes out of those episodes. So usually we record for like an hour 40 on those. Mm -hmm. But then RP episodes, you cut like maybe five minutes. A yeah, I feel like this is something we've discussed, probably not in this medium before with, with folks that listen or who all are also in the podcasting space. And I think people in general are surprised how little fat we cut off like we i think we've got it kind of down by now yeah now, obviously there's episodes like combat where we need to cut more but i mean if we're putting out a 90 minute rp episode like you said we're probably recording for 95 minutes right not a lot's coming out of that yeah i think and most of that is brooks jokes yeah most of it is brooks jokes we we leave some of them in sometimes sometimes I mean, sometimes it's just great to edit them around so that uh, they fall even flatter. <laughs> I'm kidding. We would never do that. We love you, Brooks. But yeah, I, so not a ton. We we really don't cut a ton out. It's more just polishing it and knowing the pieces that, that need to be cut out. So the occasional ums and uhs and you know if that gets too egregious <laughs> yeah i mean we leave we leave a decent amount of it in and i think that's because our philosophy is that we want you to feel like you're at the table with us and nobody that you know in your life talks perfectly we all certainly don't even though we're in front of a microphone all the time mm -mm. and it doesn't sound like natural speech to cut all of that out yeah we weren't voice actors two and a half years ago when we started and guess what? We're still not. See, that's the thing. Voice actors better. still use filler words occasionally. They just, they have a script to speak yeah. to. I, I don't use filler words when I'm talking, when I'm reading off a script. No, no, you don't. Oh, I think that about sums that up. I think that was a pretty comprehensive rundown of that. Um, last question for the night comes from Thomas slash Max. Seems like we're headed towards a tournament arc in Abaddon. Well, that kind of dates it a little bit. If the PCs were forced to face each other 1v1, who would win and why? I've got a pretty short answer to this. I think Eclipse has it in the bag. If it's Eclipse versus uh, Airvair versus uh, Matumbe and Freya. She just has a lot more versatility than anybody else. She can fly. And Airbear clearly by far and away can deal out the most damage, but he can't touch her. Matumbe's got nothing. I'm not even going to throw his hat in the ring for any of this. Yeah, what if it was a skill-based... <laughs> well, it's a, it's a skill-based tournament. If it's a, uh, it's get, Jeopardy. <laughs> get, you know, Horus has four boats that all need to come back to shore. <laughs> then maybe I got this. Yeah. Um, what yeah, do you I mean, Frey is a support role, so not her. I think Tulia could wipe the floor with you guys. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't think of Tulia. I think even still, Eclipse would give her a run for her money if she no, gets up in her face. Tulia could shut Eclipse down immediately. I think. You think so? She's a well-built wizard. Yeah. At level nine, she could dominate Eclipse easily. Uh, Eclipse doesn't have a great will save. What if Eclipse had? What, let me change this. Change the script on you a little bit. What if Eclipse had wealth by level? Do you think that changes it? Because a lot of what Tulia is, is bringing to the table is her gear. 
and we don't have perfect gear. Well, that's not true. A lot of what Tulia is bringing to the table is the two most powerful wizard archetypes combined. Yes. And the fact that she's a wizard. So I don't think it's just her gear that makes her. I, I, I didn't say that, and I'm not trying to imply that. But yeah, I don't think I don't think with wealth by level, Eclipse could touch Tulia either. Okay. I mean, Eclipse has no way to see invisibility that I know of. Um, Tulia shuts down the encounter by going invisible and flying. That's it. As long as Tulia wins initiative, I think she she can one v one any of you. I, I mean, good luck. She can she can acid pit people at this point. Good luck. Nobody but Matumbe is climbing out of that shit. Mm -hmm. It's just, I think the with the right spells prepared, Tulia could one v one anybody as long as she wins initiative. If she doesn't win initiative, and um, see, that's the thing. None of you are built to to kill a mage. We learned yeah. that the hard way with uh, with Vrood. Vrood. Yeah. You know, Vrood was handing all of your asses to you. And it's, it's true. It's because you're not... None of you are built specifically to handle that. So I think that might be the, the party's weak spot. One of the weak spots. One of the many weak spots, yes. Uh, but I... Bottom of the totem pole, unfortunately. I, sorry, Emily. It has to be Freya. I just think she works so much better as a party, like in a party. I don't think she can solo anything. Yeah, I think it's a toss-up between her and Matumbe. Matumbe at least depends. has Bane. Yeah, if he has all of his Bane for the day. He, you know, he can. If we're staying on the ground, I'm not going to miss her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Bane immediately. I'm gonna throw inspiration on every single roll. Right. And unless I roll a one, I'm probably gonna hit her. Mm -hmm. So. I th yeah, right. Depending on initiative, maybe something crazy happens where she pulls out a spell she's been sitting on, but I, I think I could do it. I mean, honestly, you got to think about the Freya burst of radiance on Eclipse. Yeah. <laughs> Against the evil character. Yeah, that's true. And Haley rolls trash on saves. Yeah. I, I would give it to Tulia for sure, but I could see scenarios where a couple of the, like, you know, there's, there's an obvious scenario where Air Bear obliterate somebody if he can get if he can stay next to them right and then and, and then we're talking about initiative again because you'd say we're talking tulia can wipe the floor with anybody but if air bear full rounds her that's the thing though he can't as long as they're apart yeah the first round he's gonna all he's gonna be able to do is get up to her and attack she's gonna five foot step and cast something you know cast something to make that mage armor or not major arm, mirror image shuts Air Bear down, mm -hmm. right? It, it it makes his full round attack turn into one or two hits. Yeah. Which isn't really going to phase a ninth level character. Yeah. So I think we kind of figured this one out. Yeah. <laughs> As in, it depends, but my money's on Tulia. Yeah, that's certainly the safe bet. There could be a couple wild cards in there, but I, th I think that's safe. And, uh, Sorry for you. Yeah, I think the only the only thing that I'll I'll put in Eclipse's box is that if we're considering the character holistically, if she had time to buff up, she could steamroll most of the party because the the downfall and I think this is true of almost every occultist build you can make. The downfall of the occultist, it's very versatile, it's very cool, it can do a ton of stuff, and it can do a lot of stuff well. 
but unlike things like War Priest, you have no way to speed up your buffing. And so unless you have yeah. like five rounds, like you've seen Eclipse absolutely dominate a combat when she has five rounds outside of the door to, okay, I lead blades myself, I bane myself, I, you know, she, I, I'm flying now, I'm... She can she can do all of that over the span of five rounds and then be a wrecking ball. But if she doesn't have that, it takes a as we've also seen, it takes a really long time for her to actually become as effective as she can be. There was a there's a combat coming up in a few episodes. It's it's the next combat that you guys will see. So this is no way or shape or form as a spoiler. But we see that a little bit too. Yeah, we were we just played it out last night where we had a discuss. You know, we had a strategy discussion mid-combat where she's like, should I attack right now and start wrecking, or should I buff for a more prolonged thing? And mm -hmm. the right, I think the right call was to buff, and uh, you're right, it burned a full round. Yep. Because it, it's just what needed to happen in the long haul. Yeah. Well, cool. I like that question. Yeah, that was a good one. Maybe we'll revisit one day with the evil interlude characters, but I don't think that really changes anything. That's Witches a, are good. Nano Opal could be pretty good. Uh, that's a, Yeah, that's tough. It, it really depends on what level, mm -hmm. I think, at that point. Because if we do the starting Eel Interlude Party, a level 5 Witch isn't going to stand up to Saw. No, 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 no. I, yeah, level 5, I, th I think Saw wipes the board. Yeah, level 5 for most parties. The Marshal's going to... Discussion for a later time. But... That's all the listener questions I had planned for today. Um, as we have been doing lately, Griffin, we've been I've, I've been having a little bit of a finale on these. So just um, if you guys are not aware yet, um, one of the goals that we've had on our Patreon for a while was uh, was releasing glassware. Now, this is something that we've always wanted as being like sort of a drinking focused podcast. You know, you're playing with your friends, you're having a couple libations. Um, but there were some rules and restrictions and difficulties in actually getting HLP branded glassware. So we made it a goal. And well, we hit that goal. So keep your eyes peeled. Um, glassware is unlocked. It's not in stock on our store yet, but it will be soon. So all the communication is going to be there. But if you want your HLP pint glass or shot glass, you're going to get it. It's going to be cool. Um, also, we mentioned earlier that we are quickly approaching our goal for Bestow Curse releasing. So uh, once again, thank you to everybody out there who has and who can uh, participate in contributing to our Patreon. Your, your kindness goes further than you could ever imagine. It's, it's really incredible and we really appreciate every single bit of that um but if you are not able to contribute or you know money's tight or whatever that's cool you can also help us by just spreading the word yeah get get one of your friends listening get two of your friends listening go crazy and get more of your friends listening leave us a review that's a great way to help signal boost us i promise that is a big deal when it comes to new people discovering our podcast is a volume a, a high volume of positive reviews that really swings, uh, you know, people just finding us blindly. Uh, like a post, share a post. Anything you can do to help us get there is greatly appreciated. Besides that, next Drunken Discorderly is going to be on the 6th of February, 2021. So for those of you that are $10 up, we'll see you there. And I think that about concludes everything that I wanted to talk about. How about you, Griff? Yeah, I'm all set. You ready to go hit the gym? 
Yeah, man. Uh, finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.